Welcome to the Nicholas Natale Show. Today I'm chatting with Nate Riggs. Nate Riggs is a United States Navy veteran who served 10 years as a helicopter search and rescue swimmer and a door gunner instructor. He was part of a small community that kept the highest standards and was willing to put it all on the line when duty called. Now he applies that same level of attention to detail to real estate. Before we dive into the episode like a fry into ketchup, I want to talk to my entrepreneurs out there. What's up? What's up, entrepreneurs? Are you looking to optimize your performance, scale your business, connect with your family without compromising that success? My man Scott Anderson from Double Dare You has served up a dish you're going to love. Scott is an entrepreneur, coach, and business consultant who has helped scale over 550 businesses and so many executives, over 2,200 executives. He's a legend, and he's offering listeners of the Nicholas and Tally Show a free consultation call. It's absolutely free. Visit doubledareyou.us to schedule your free consultation call today. That's D-O-U-B-L-E-D-A-R-E-Y-O-U-S dot U-S for your free consultation call. Since you're going online, go ahead and go to nicholasnatalie.com slash shop for some merch. Before I lost my sweatshirt to the Grand Canyon, ugh, ugh, was I dripping. I had drip galore. I'm going to buy another sweatshirt, and I'm going to get some more stickers and pens. I'm going to get it all. I'm actually going to buy everything that's on on the store right now because I'm going to... It's going to change soon. Got to get the current gear while you can. YouTube.com slash Nicholas Tally. Videos every single Monday. Please go subscribe there. Do it for me. And for yourself. You love enjoying things. I plan on throwing some good stuff up there that I'm excited about. Leave a five-star review for this podcast. Do it. And then share this episode with a friend on the social medias. Tell everyone you know. To all the little neato burritos you got in your contact list, say, Hey, my delicious little burrito baby, I thought you might like this. And then send them this episode. If you want to be a podcast sponsor, reach out to me at Nicholas Natale for more information. Riddle for this week, how do vampires like their food served? Stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out. That was the intro. Here's the episode. Hello and welcome. This is the Nicholas Natale Show. I am your host, Nicholas Natale. Today we have a very special guest, Nate Riggs. Nate, season's greetings. Hey, how are you, Nick? Thanks for having me on, man doing fantastic and i'm stoked you're here and we're gonna dive right in here's yeah. what i know i know about your grandma sounds a little weird i don't know that's probably not the best way to say it yeah but i know that your grandma was an entrepreneur she was a hustler dude what a what influence did your grandma play in your life no joke so uh i used to stay with my grandpa orvis who actually wasn't really my grandpa but my grandma's boyfriend at the time and then my grandma elsie uh elsie she was a developer she drove uh lincoln's you know they had her dad had bought a bunch of land in the small town uh where we lived and maybe we can get into that on the east coast of florida but um i kind of grew up in their world i didn't go to daycare i hung out with the grandparents you know what i mean nice yeah so she was she she what did she have she had like a condo complex or something like that she had Yes. land and estates what was she all right doing? so the earliest thing was like i guess uh, uh they kind of had some land like as a family and then it was really close to the water like waterfront land it's on the indian river in sebastian florida nice. yeah it was nice and um so she was into kind of like buying older houses turning them to bed and breakfast um she also had a part and she always had partners right it's kind of like a, a business person never invests her own money uh but so she had these part <laughs> yeah so she had these partners and um you know, she lived in a townhouse, a townhouse that she had also helped develop, which was kind of cool. And then um, also her uh, boyfriend at the time, uh, Grandpa Orvis, and like one of the, you know, one of the male father figures in my life, basically. But 
he lived in the heart of what was the Sportsman Marina Lodge. So he came back from World War II, bought an old hotel, tore it down, built a new hotel. It was the wow. Sp- Sportsman's Marina and Lodge. And uh, he kind of lived on the second story of this kind of like duplex unit. And then there was all these efficiencies. And there was kind of like an old bar. And then there was like a dock. And he had boats on boat lifts out there. Um, the interesting yeah. thing was this is very early 90s. I'm hanging with him. We're going fishing every day, coming home. Grandma Elsie's frying them up, riding around like in the in the Lincoln. And not only did she manage those like condos, but we had weird things like uh, like coin operated soda machines, and then like laundry mats, and all kinds of like kind of commercial type real estate that like I was just like I didn't know this was commercial real estate. I just knew we were going to put soda in the machine and take the coins, and we were going to yeah. like me and Orvis were going to go fix like a dryer. And then like get it back up and running and collect the coins. And so it, it was a business, right? And so yeah. nobody was really like saying, nobody really taught me. I just like sat there and and we didn't have phones or, or and this was like pre Game Boys or anything. And plus we were probably, oh, wow. even though we were like business people, we were probably still kind of poor. Like, you know, everybody has entrepreneurs or millionaires. Well, like the journey there isn't necessarily right. And we can talk about it's that. Awesome. Yeah. And I know you've talked about stuff. I've listened to some of your shows. And um, so it is a, you have to put the work in. Um, And so I was there riding along with them while they were putting the work in kind of. Yeah. And do you think just being around them, you kind of caught on to a lot of that? Did that like when you thought of your future at that age, were you thinking, okay, this is how I'm going to do things when I'm older. I'm going to start hustling like this. Was it like that? So I think it's almost like, Hmm. It may almost be like almost this might seem really weird. Uh, Maybe the opposite. Like sometimes I still don't feel like I have a job. And I just was sitting here in the studio talking to my wife and I was like, you know, grandpa was retired, but yet we were still doing work, you know, so it was a very like, it wasn't like a hustle, like it wasn't like a hard work, like nine to five clock in at the union, like factory job. It was like, um, there were no set hours. It was just like, what do we got to do today? We got to get this done today. We get this done. We go on the boat, we go fishing. So it wasn't like this, like, and so you worked really hard because you had to get all your stuff done. If you wanted to go uh-huh. on a John boat and get out on the river, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 What a dream. What a way to grow up. Just, oh I feel like gosh, that is, dude. that is the dream of like, you get your stuff done and then you go hang out and play for a little bit. Boy, I wish I knew it when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. It's, it's hard to like really, Hold on to those moments. You don't know until they're gone. You, you really don't. don't. You really don't. And then you try to recreate them for you and your kids later. And it's like, wow, this is way more challenging than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> this is hard being on the other side. <laughs> yeah, right? Man. Okay. So then I'm going to skip a little bit because it's probably, it's probably something that happens in your life in between. But I know sure. that you are searching to go to school, go to a university. You want to yeah. get established in real estate. And you come out here to San Diego yeah. And then you bounce. What love, the heck? You, you weren't sold on San Diego? You love, went right back? I love San Diego. Don't let my wife listen to this because she'll be like, let's move. Uh, she wants to be out there so bad. So, um, and she lived in uh, Lamore, California, up the road a little bit there. And we we spent some time okay. out there together. But yeah, so like nobody, again, like we were, I was like a river rat, right? And like I say that yeah. and that's okay and I accept that. And like, um, so nobody taught us anything about i knew i was like oh i'll go to college i had no idea that going to college in florida costs like four thousand dollars a year going to college in san diego costs like fifteen thousand dollars a semester 
And I was like, sure, I'll go. And then, like, once I got out there, I was like, holy cow, like, what do you mean? Okay. And there's a lot of other things going on. But so, like, Elsie had done real estate. And then also, my mom and dad had their real estate license. Um, now, they did on the side. My dad had a main job, but um, they did real estate as well, kind of on a side. And, um, you know, so I was like, well, I'm going to go to school for like marketing real estate, like a marketing degree with like a real estate track. And that's what I'm going to get into. And then, um, you know, different things happen. And I was like, well, I'm going to come back to UNF. So I came to Jacksonville. Um, don't get me wrong. I love San Diego and I'd love to be there, but we're here now. So it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it all happened for a reason. That's for sure. And, you know, that out of state tuition, who knows? Um, would have caught up with you. It really does. That whew, gets expensive really, really fast. Yeah, it's like a whole degree in one semester. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Almost, exactly. Right. But you do like to surf, so maybe, yeah. maybe the surf would have been <laughs> worth worth oh the change. My gosh, yeah. I mean, yeah, but that water's cold. You know, in Florida, it's like eighty degrees, so that's a good trip. That's very true. That's and, a very, and yeah, that's very true. Sebastian Inlet, I think, at certain times ranks like top ten in the world or top ten, and at least in the country, like inlets to surf so we still got good stuff here oh there you go no, no worries no complaints then all right so then you go from you know you come back and then you're like pursuing this degree and you realize i don't need this stinking degree i can just get my real estate license on my own 20 yeah. years old you get your real estate license on your own that's it things change a little bit and then yeah. you join the u.s navy right yeah what's going through your mind this is, seems like a really pivotal choice in your life because it's, you know, you just it, got your real estate license. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And so I guess I got my license, like, uh, I try to look up the dates. I'd have to look them up to see. But it's either, like, uh, really late 2007 or really early 2008. Um, I know it didn't. Prime actually, time. Yeah, prime time, right? So, yeah, and that was part of it. And so, like, um, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. I get my real estate license. I leave. I go back home to, like, St. Pete, Clearwater. So, I'm going on listing appointments at like 21 years old for like $2 million houses. Uh, and so Dope. these are like big deals. And I did a couple deals. They weren't $2 million deals. They were much lower deals. But <laughs> I started doing deals right as the market turned. So for instance, I remember specifically one of the, one of the early deals I did in my early 20s was a condo on the water, uh, on the intercoastal with like a mm. boat docks out back. And it was $210,000. And I sold it to a nice gentleman who just retired from GM. Now, this property was bank owned. A year before that, somebody had taken out a loan for like $546,000 to buy it. And so if that doesn't show you that like the market was like that high and then the foreclosures were happening and then like he got it for two ten, dollars So great for him. That's good. So really low price. Mm. Um, and maybe later we can kind of talk about how the market has gone down and come back up and all those kind of things. Yeah. But I wasn't at that, which is a really tough time to be a part of it. I got beat by a lot of Barbaras with the Cadillacs and the big blown out hair. They were just crushing me. So I wasn't doing enough to necessarily get on my own. I'm living with mom and dad. Um, everybody's hurting, right, during this time period. Everybody's hurting during this recession. And yeah. even mom and dad kind of had left their job and switched jobs. And they were going on the road like full-time RV. For My dad mm. picked up a job. Um to go for books like a book publishing company he was going to go and kind of like public speak and like share information about the books from the author nice. and the publishers uh so i'm kind of at this like you're right like pivotal moment like this is a life-changing moment where i'm like 
Alright, so I'm either going to take this guitar here and get on this motorhome with mom and dad, uh, or I'm going to grow up and I've got to figure this out. Um, I think yeah. the Navy at the time was running some slogan like, uh, kickstart your career. And so I was like, okay, cool. I still want to do real estate. So don't get me wrong, because I think a lot of my Navy guys, a lot of my really close guys in the brotherhood, and we could talk about the search and rescue life later on. But um, I think they took it really personal when I left. When I mm. showed up, I never intended to do like a full career. It was always to kind of like have on my resume for real estate. And I always, I wanted to grow up. I wanted to get some life experience. And then I wanted to get back to what I really love, which was real estate. The right. Navy search and rescue thing came about because at 16 years old, okay, so growing up in Florida at the Sportsman Marina Lodge on a John boat, like I don't remember, and it's just in like my face, maybe I didn't bring it down. Uh, I don't remember not, I don't remember not knowing how to swim. And then from right. like 15, 16 years old, I was a lifeguard. By 18, I was head lifeguard. I'm running this pool facility. We've got seven water slides. We got lap pool. We've got all this. And then all the while, like from my dad, there was a strong like aviation influence. We had friends that like owned uh, avionics company. We were always at the airport. And so nice. in the early 20s, I kind of like married those two. I'm like, all right. And, and, and then for this. Right. And so I was always kind of patriotic. Um, you know, I always kind of had that that like um, that attraction. I, I love our country. I think I think it's a great country. Um, and um, so. I was like, I'm going to go this route. And I went search and rescue in a helicopter. I just married like the water and the aviation, all that together. And that's how I got there. That's how I got there. Yeah. And then, okay. So you've been, you do it for 10 years. You go on to do yeah. it for 10 years. This is a, a very long time. And the only question I can think of is like, what was some of the more exciting experiences you had? That seems like a very high intensity, high adrenaline type of occupation it is my body hurts uh it hurts today <laughs> sometimes it hurts um so yeah it's a high that's definitely a high-end lifestyle it's definitely like uh and and i don't know i don't you know i know there's different it's a very alpha male like uh kind of lifestyle which i i don't think i was it was kind of quiet at first but you know it's kind of like one of those things where like it it it, it reaches down in you and it pulls out who you are like who you are deep down, it, it's going to pull it out and amplify it. And so I'm glad I went. Um, I love the experience. Yeah, so exciting times. I mean, I got to fly in a, a helicopter. I was a, a helicopter machine gun door gunner. And, That's dope. Uh, you know, so I shot M240s and Gal 16s out of the side of a helicopter. Um, eventually was a helicopter door gunner instructor. Was like, you know, qualified to train up new guys, qualified to do any shoots on my own, do my stuff. Um, so a lot of exciting stuff, but I will tell you, it also gets monotonous. I had to remind myself a lot of times, um, and and from a very um, offensive gender role kind of point of view, but I had to remind myself that, like, um, hey, a lot of dudes would, like, kill to have this job, you know? they kill yeah. to have the yeah. opportunity to do this, and you're, like, complaining because it's going to be a late night because I got to clean machine guns after, like, you know, and all that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So um exciting things you know i will tell you it gets a little yeah i know it sounds super glamorous and, and there's stuff out there um there's a lot more training than there is like real um activity of course but i think that's what makes you so good when there is real there's also mm -hmm. this factor and um you know you're the host so i'll let you kind of guide this but i'll tell you this when you're 
you know, it wasn't Coast Guard, it was Navy. So it was international water, not like off the coast. So a lot of like distress right. calls and a lot of things here, the, the Coast Guard picks up. Ours was really mm-hmm. like once I got, once we were deployed and we're in the middle of nowhere. Um, so when I'm in a Persian Gulf, when I'm over there in between Iran and Iraq, and like you can imagine kind of like the different events that go on, I think things could be more exciting, could be more like heroic, but like, Washington and Congress still have a lot of reach, even though they have a very tight leash on you, even when you're over there. And so Mm. I think, um, you know, I was in a few situations where you're like, they're right there. I can pick them up. Mm, I can do it. We got, and it's like, oh no. And then it's like, it's a situation on the news back home. And you're like, no one would have even Mm -hmm. known. We could have completed this job that we trained for, for three freaking years up to this point. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, so, um, you know, maybe that's more of like a challenge than an exciting part. Exciting part is just like, dude, I mean, jumping out of a helicopter and going up here. Let me explain something. Uh, a feeling that you only get and then we'll move on because um, I don't want to stay on one point too long. But like the first couple of times you do this, it's like an awe inspiring thing. And you realize mm-hmm. like the gravity of it. So there's a helicopter that weighs 20,000 pounds relatively. It's a medium lift helicopter. So you jump out of it. And even if you're doing training over here in the river, you jump out of this helicopter, you're in the water and you're swimming around, you're doing all this stuff. And then you, you go up and you signal like, Hey, come, okay, come pick me up. And you hook up and it's basically like a mountain climber kind of vest made for like the water. And you're hooking up on this hoist. And then like, they start hoisting you up. Now you're out of the water. You're not in a helicopter and you're not in the water. You're on a cable suspended by a helicopter, which isn't touching any. There's nothing around. <laughs> right. There's, it's just floating like a spaceship in the middle uh-huh. of air with like this wind coming down. And to like your whole life, you're on a swing. That's fine. But there's like chains and there's things bolted in the ground. You're never going to experience that. Like you can su- be suspended from a crane, but you're yeah. still connected to the ground. This weird thing yeah. of like this thing that's floating in air. And I'm hanging from it. Yeah, there's and no there's feeling. Nothing attached to the ground. It's nothing, dude. It's it's like it's mind blowing. It is. That's wild. Some guys in Colorado. So did, you have that conversation with some guys by the creek in Colorado. You know what I mean? They'll blow their mind. <laughs> I'll be sure to tell them next time I'm in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you have a strategy for like maybe like keeping composure is the best thing I can think of, or like you know, in, in those scenarios where you're being hoisted by a helicopter and there's nothing, nothing else to hold on to, like in general, maybe it was training, maybe it was like, or was that natural for you because you've been growing up with it? Um, so I, okay. And are you talking maybe like the weirdness of like heights and other things or what do you mean? I think, at like- ta- I think a lot of people, maybe I shouldn't say a lot of people. I think there is a tendency for some people to panic in yeah. situations like that panic in situations that aren't always certain and as you mentioned like the alpha thing is it alpha mentality is it you know the training that they say you've done it so many times it's just the way it is how do you maintain the, composure in the, those tra- the training just really weeds people out so remember it's a it's mm. it's five schools over a two-year period and it starts yeah. with um you start with like an air crew school which is a little bit lower level and it and like some of those are fundamental things like they put you on basically like the equivalent of like carnival rides and like the kids that mm-hmm. puke are like they're out of the program because they can't right. handle it. like and then the next thing was like rescue swimmer school and it's a five-week school 
So we started with 24 guys and six guys graduate in our class. So it's a very high attrition rate, right? Um, the first couple days are like, your, there's a lot, they call it SPNC, swim proficiency and conditioning. I mean, dude, this is just like, you're just, you're doing underwaters, you're doing sprints on the surface. And then it's like underwater, 25 meters, like go, like no breath. And like, there's dudes mm-hmm. that are like blacking out and getting pulled out of the pool. And it's like, see you later, you're going home. And so, oh yeah, gosh. so there's a bunch of like elimination there. Um, you know, you, you got your fins and your snorkel and you're waiting to go in the pool and you think it's just like pool training. The instructor comes by, strips your snorkel down into like 15 pieces, throws it in the deep end. And then they're like screaming at you to jump in. And collectively you're like putting your mask and stuff under like, so like those, that school was like really intense. You leave that school, um, you graduate and you're like, I'm a rescue swimmer. Yay. And then they're like, that's your, now you're going to a school and you got to learn how to like oceanography and some other things. And you're like, what is this? I didn't sign up for this. What is this stuff? Yeah. And that's like a brain school. Now you're doing, cause it's a multi-role helicopter. So this is brain Mm -hmm. school. So they're weeding you out here. Then you're going to like survival school and then you're going to like the final school where you finally, after like a year, start flying in a helicopter. And even then you're like getting, you're, you're getting weeded. The guys don't graduate that school. Um, so I think by the time you get to the point that you're like doing it, like they've weeded out the guys that can't do it naturally. And then you're ready to learn it, you know, Mm -hmm. man. And then from that point, it's like you've seen it all. <laughs> you've yeah. been you've been through the ringer at this point. You're you're good to go. Yeah. For during during your time as an instructor, how do you think when you started to instruct other people on how to do things and be a, a door gunner, how did that impact your leadership and how you lead people? Yeah. Like now and and during that time. That's good, man. Cause those are like, and you're right, that's like the final elimination like school. And those are like those are pretty big jobs, right? And um and they're jobs that guys can get stressed out on. And I got to be honest, I wasn't like a like a yelling instructor. And I wasn't like a super nice instructor. I tend to be a little bit condescending. That's just like mm-hmm. by my nature. Like, um, you know, I still to this day, people are like, you know, you could have been a little bit nicer. You like, you know, and so like that's always like. Who I am. Yeah. <laughs> deal with it. Maybe if you started finishing your work on time, I wouldn't have to eat. No. So, uh, no. <laughs> but, um, you know. <laughs> Man, I just like, I tried to be an advocate and a mentor. And like, I tried to like, I'm, I'm pretty good at empathizing, not sympathizing necessarily, but empathizing. Like I could put myself in your shoes. I could see like, you know, so by the time I was at a stage where I'm teaching these guys about guns, I'm asking them, I'd already maybe talked to them about where they, where they came from, where their family, you know, we're all from different states, different parts of the country. We all get, to, some people are poor. Some people are rich. Some people have degrees. Some people don't. Some people have no dad. Some people have no mom. You know what I mean? Like maybe some people yeah. have eight moms and, and four dads. Like, you know what I mean? So there's all yeah. this like different weird dynamic. And I was always good at like having those conversations. And so some of the guys that like my buddies who were also instructors like hated just because like I was looking at them and I was like, this is going to be one of the greatest guys of this job. If you would pour mm-hmm. into them rather than just like, hate them, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess it, it's some of it natural. Um, you know, and, and I don't know what everybody's beliefs are and stuff, but, um, you know, my dad's a pastor, so I grew up under my dad, and, like, he's he's a great guy, too. And, um, you know, I've often said to my dad, I'm like, your one job is to, like, be nice to people. <laughs> yeah. Your one yeah. job is to, like, give people counsel and be nice to them. Like, that's the 
you know, regardless of what people's beliefs, you know, we all have our own uh, beliefs and spiritual beliefs and stuff. But like, even if, even with those aside, your job description is be nice to people, be their advocate and encourage them. And so like, I think I just observed him doing that and was able to kind of take that and apply those same principles in one of the harshest environments um, and yeah. make do with it, you know? Man, I'm not, I have, you know, oh. <laughs> so so speaking of like taking on that be nice be an advocate and pretty much encourage and be be there for people from my experience and i'm just i'm just throwing it out there it is it's an uphill battle to be that guy around alpha male personalities and yeah. i'm curious what your experience has been being being the guy who's an advocate being the one that empathizes with people in the midst of an environment like that. So the odd thing is I'm not like big on second chances either. So like Mm. I will be your advocate and I will empathize with you and I will give you all the tools you need to succeed. But like, if you don't put the work in, like, I don't care. I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to track you down. And so like, that's the kind of side of it. Uh, So it can almost be more painful than the person that's up front and a jerk the whole time. Right. Like, I feel like if, if, if Nate Riggs is disappointed in you, then like, oh shit, like I really like, that guy over there was a jerk to begin with, but he was like super nice. And now he doesn't want anything to do with me. Like that's painful. Yeah. Uh, kind of yeah. that thing. Like, you know, um, so don't, don't mistake like, you know, my empathy and my advocate for not being one of the roughest guys in the, in the group oh, either. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. I had this thing called Riggs rant. So, um, and I've talked about this before, Riggs rants, because I could rant about anything. I could just light up the room, and I could come in a room and um, and light it up. And I've talked about this before. And the, but I once the Rig, Riggs rants were named, I, I kind of realized they were negative, and I I did everything in my power to kind of like uh, some people were disappointed that I stopped doing them um, intentionally because, <laughs> well. Once you learn you have the power to like change the energy in the room, you don't want to change it negatively. You want to change it positively and rants by their very nature. Like if I'm ranting about the government or if I'm ranting about the boss or if I'm ranting about some guy at work, like that's an inherently negative thing, you know? Um, Yeah. So I've done everything to try to create like, how do I, how do I take the ability to change energy in the room and make it positive? Yeah. What is what have you found to be the best way to do that? Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> um, not rant one um, about things and, and provide solutions. So it's okay to say like, "Hey, man, you know this is like this is a huge issue. We've got a huge problem here um, and a major situation. We, you know, blah blah blah. What we should do." And or what I feel like or what I think would contribute or help mm-hmm. or make things better is if we all did this. You know, a lot of people go around complaining or uh, being negative and they don't provide any solution. I think the difference right. in complaining and I don't know what the other word is even like the difference in complaining and making a difference is the ability to provide a solution at the end. Like you might say like, hey, it's freezing cold in here. That's a complaint. Yeah. Hey, it's freezing cold in here. What if we adjusted the thermostat maybe up a degree or yeah. two? How does everybody feel about that? Now we've added yeah. a solution to the problem. It's not just a complaint. We've made an observation. We've shared it with everybody. We've gathered everyone's thoughts and we made a decision. We move forward. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. I think that's a, that's a great strategy to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's good. I, I have this like thought in the back of my head about how to like communicate with people when you want something. 
And I recently heard that if you give before you ask, it'll work a lot better. So like if you if you say things like, let's say your thermostat, it, like it's freezing cold in there. If you say, hey, man, I really love being here with you, but it's a little cold in here. Would it be cool? Is it a possibility yeah. to change that? You know, like you, you give them something yeah. first, you know, and then you say, this is what I'm asking That's for. Good. Yeah, I feel like I, I don't know. That's just something I'm. I'm gonna try that one out a little bit Give from, it a try. from here on out. We'll see how it works. Yeah, we got nothing to lose. Here's another thing. Here's another thing I got for you. So I've heard you mention in the past that the habits you've been able to build in the military is helping you now push past the pack. Now that you're in the back in the real estate. Yeah. Game. So yeah. what habits have you built? And this doesn't have to be military centered. But what habits do you have now that are helping you do that? Oh, man. Um, there's so many. So to start, um, way more aggressive than I was before. Mm. When I was younger, I was quiet. I was kind of timid. Um, you live the lifestyle I lived. You run with the crew I ran with. And you become way more aggressive. I think ag- aggressiveness is one of those words. And aggressiveness and assertiveness are these like words that are frowned upon. But in all honesty, like I'm trying to provide for a family here and I'm trying to like provide, not only am I trying to provide for my family, I'm making a living doing it by providing a service for others. And if I can beat the competition, if I'm better than the competition, if I provide a better product than the competition, if I'm faster and not always like, it doesn't mean like I don't answer my phone at nine o'clock at night. You call me at nine o'clock at night, forget about it. I'll call you back in the morning. But that's part of my, I'm more professional than other people. People who answer the phone at nine o'clock at night are desperate for business. People who don't are not desperate for business. I'll call you back during working hours. Or, you know, if it's an emergency, one thing, if we're negotiating a contract late at night, one thing. If you just call me out of the blue to ask me what color you should paint the walls or something, I ain't answering that call at nine o'clock. You know what (laughs) I mean? And so, like, I set myself apart that way. Like, hey, I take myself seriously. Uh, This Mm. is a serious profession. Like you don't call your dentist at nine o'clock at night on a cell phone asking him when you can come in for an appointment. You don't call your divorce attorney. You don't call your like you got in a car accident and you're calling Morgan and Morgan at 10 p.m. It's not going to happen. And so like, you know, your financial advisor on Wall Street, it's not going to happen. And I I look at all those like like those professional careers, put them high on a shelf. And I say, I want to be on that shelf, too. I'm going to do follow the systems and models that they follow. And I'm going to be better than everybody else who doesn't follow those systems. And yeah. so I guess when you're in a very competitive world, when you're, when you, when it was very competitive to get to where you were, and then you had to maintain that status in the career for 10 years, it's muscle yeah. memory at this point. A lot of agents don't wake up in the morning and go to the office because I don't know why they just don't have it. Maybe it's work ethic. Maybe like, they closed a deal last month, so they got a little bit of money to live off of, so they're not going to work sure. for the next month. Me, I go to the office. every. If I'm not in the office, people are like, where are you at? I haven't seen you. I haven't seen you in forever. I'm like, I missed. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't here for two days. Like, you yeah. know. Um, and so, dude, I treat it like, no, I wake up in the morning. Now, I have breakfast with my kids. Say hey to my wife. It's not like so military. Like if I decide like, you know. I'm going to stay home and do the flower beds today and wash the car. Nobody cares because I have the freedom to do that so I can do it. But I mean, dude, consistency, being there every day, that's the basics, you know, and, and, and like any military person could pull that, not just like a special program or some sort of like fancy rate or job. That's anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Showing up, 
and doing the work Dude. day in and day out. And that's it, man. Pay your dues. You got to pay your dues. I'm a believer in that. Like the first year I got in real estate, I kept my mouth shut, pay my dues. Nobody knew about me. The second year, I'm like body slamming the broker into like the toys <laughs> display at the office. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and they're like, hey, you can't do that. I'm like, they're like, like this. Can I tell you a story about this? Yes, please. <laughs> All right. So like I was there for like almost a year. And I kind of kept my mouth shut and just put my nose down and like paid my dues. And then I, I got invited to the Associate Leadership Council, which is a pretty cool thing. It's like a top 20% or so in the office. You get to do that. And now mm-hmm. you get that was weird. It was like a piece of fuzz floating. Sorry. Um, so um, <laughs> edit that out. Uh, so there was, we got invited to go to Orlando and we actually stayed at a hotel and we went to this like annual event. And one of the guys was a few minutes late. And, you know, I was kind of joking, but uh, he was like this prior Marine guy. So I thought maybe he'd be cool with it or something. And, I, and this whole crowd was around. It was a bunch of women. And I was like, I was like, I'll tell you what. This guy shows up and he's got a bad attitude. First thing I'm going to do, pull my shirt off and whoop him right here in the lobby. Then I might drag him outside through the doors <laughs> and throw him in that pond across the street. Um, and everybody looked at me like, and I was like. He might, he might do it. They're like, what, uh. You can't say stuff like that. I'm like, what do you mean? You can't say stuff like that. They're like, well. And then later at dinner, someone was like, the thing was, nobody could tell if you were joking or not. And I was like, well, I was, <laughs> I was like, I was joking, but I would do it. Like, you know, and they still like, so they're like, you can't do that. You can't. And I was like, all right. But now, like three years later, they're used to me and it's good now. I'm allowed to do whatever. There you go. <laughs> hey, yeah, I pay so- the bills and I'm allowed to do what I want. And let's see, I used to live by these three principles. And that reminds me, you be the best at what you do. Nobody will say mm-hmm. anything to you. If you don't know what you're doing, you act like you do. No one will say anything to you. And number three was what's the worst that could happen. And that was how I live my life, man. Follow those three principles. Seems like it's been working so far. It's like a full send, full send mentality. <laughs> it, be it the really best is. or die trying. Be the best. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm curious, how do you measure success now? You know, is it is it the money in the bank? Is it the home sold in a year? What what's your metrics that you have? So there's definitely like goals and, and metrics and things to like keep track of to see how you're doing and make sure you're on track because you have to plan. And when and when you're in a commission only job and and you have to like pay your own taxes and pay your own salary and, and pay your own employees and your other in your small team and all that. Yeah, there's a lot of tracking that goes into it. But what really matters, like the big why, like why do we do it? Um, so really it's kind of like, I mean, we've got, we're about to have our third kid. We may have some more kids. But I have a problem with this like middle class mentality of um, can I go back in time? Can I talk a little bit more about childhood? Come on. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Because this kind of like this, this answers this Um, and get us back on track if I like drift. Because so as a kid, we're standing, we're going to the community, we're going to dinner at the community center, maybe standing in line once or twice at the food stamp line. And we're like, we're figuring it out, right? Like dad started from nothing. He's figuring it. Dad starts from nothing. He's figuring it out. You know, we get a little older by the time I'm in you know, middle school, we got a little bit better Then we move again. And now we're living in Florida and I'm driving a car and we got a pool and we got a hot tub with a waterfall, hot tub, you know, it's nice. We got a camper. Nice. We're doing this stuff. So like dad figured it out, right? He figured this out. Mm-hmm. The, the middle class failure is that 
people in the middle class are only taught to figure it out for themselves and then say, well, I've taught you everything I know. Good luck. Get out there. Start from scratch. And we start over. Yeah. We just start uh-huh. over and we start over and we start over and our kids start over and they're and our grandkids start over. And I hate that. And I'm, I'm over it. And so my kids are not going to start over. They're going to pick up where I left off. And so mm. we've been on this journey. It's whether the, like I read these books over here on the shelf, we take it as much time as we can. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm sharing podcasts. And I'm trying to break this middle-class habit of teach your kids to start over instead of teach your kids to start where you left off. And so I'm going to train my kids and I'm going to make sure I leave a legacy. I'm going to make sure I leave some sort of business. I'm going to make sure I leave some sort of investments for them to take over and manage and continue to build on. So my kids and their kids and, and their grandkids are in a better place than I was starting out. And so when you ask me like what measures success, it's kind of like if we can break this mold, if we can break this habit of like, we have, you know, starting over and, and instead create a legacy that continues to grow and be built on, then that's success. And it, it, whether it's money or whether it's lifestyle or whether it's just a frame of mind, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's not having, not having it stop with you. It's generational. It's got, yeah. the waterfall's got to keep going down and down and down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do no, you, I, does that make yeah. sense? I mean, do, have you seen that happen in your own life? Have you seen that happen in like, other people's like world have you heard your buddies like i've had buddies literally tell me like yeah well i'm teaching my kids and then it's gonna be like get out of the house see you later figure it out and i'm like that's (laughs) your that's what you're giving them like no i mean you know yeah i think yeah i think a lot of it kind of boils down to like living for the right now so instead of you know and i've heard you you mentioned this before in the past like instead of spending on toys you can spend on investments and then get the toys and i think for the large part of america we enjoy consumerism we enjoy consuming we enjoy well if i can have it now then i should yeah we don't enjoy the delayed gratification and when you start to invest for the future that's when everything changes it's true. So I think I agree with you. I think you're you're dead on. Cool. But what I want to talk about is moving to assets. Since we're talking about investments, Heck, let's talk real yeah. estate, baby. Yeah. So let's do it. Let's start. Let's start here. Well, actually, yeah. Let's start here. What would you say the key differences are when you're looking to buy an investment property versus a primary home? Where so, would you Where would you start? Okay. Cool. So there's ways to look. First thing they should do is go listen to your podcast about being debt free. And the amount of work that it takes to do it. Because if you're bound by debt, you're going to have a real hard time making any investments. Um, so we got to work on be debt free, get rid of that consumer debt. And and I'm not a full like Dave Ramsey, like don't even have a house bill because I think that's the proper leverage. And I think when we talk about investing in real estate, we're talking about that. So I think the biggest thing was there's two examples. There's a couple ways to do it. I've got buddies who own four or five houses. And so what they did was they kind of combined both of what you're talking about. And this has become kind of popular recently. Uh, I think it's still a relatively, even though it's been out a few years, it's still a relatively um, new thing or untapped into thing. Buy Buy your personal home with the intent of making it an investment two, three Mm -hmm. years down the road. So Mm -hmm. you can buy, you can get into a house for as low as three and a half percent down. If you're lucky enough to take advantage of the VA, you can get zero percent down on your loan, move into a house, 
live there, make some small renovations while you're there to up the value. And then you can move out and rent that home and purchase another one. You know, I know you've got to work on some other stuff, but I would say that route of what they call house hacking is probably one of the best approaches. I didn't do that. So I made a mistake. I kind of did because I didn't learn until I was later, right? See, remember I wasn't taught. So my idea is I'm trying to work on teaching younger generations. My thing was I saw my buddies buying these little houses and I was like, I don't want that little house. I'm going to wait. I went, I saved up and I bought a bigger house, but of course uh-huh. it's not a very rentable house. And all, and now mm. I'm still here. I have nowhere. I'm still not ready to move up where my buddies that bought these small houses moved up three, four times. Now they own four houses that are investment houses. If yeah. you if you're not going to live in that house, you're going to have to put 20% down. So on a yeah. $100,000 house, that's $20,000. So you better have $20,000 saved up to buy a $100,000 house that if it's a good investment is under under market value, which means you're going to mm-hmm. have to do repairs and updates, which means you probably you better probably have 30 or $40,000 saved up because you got to mm-hmm. do those updates to make it an investment. So I think the mm-hmm. best route for my young, for, for young people, young people, either people out of college uh, that are able to take advantage of FHA loans or people out of the military or young people that are just out of boot camping. And I wish it would talk, you know, at boot camp, they come and they hand out like credit cards and that's a whole. Oh, other dangerous. <laughs> this is where you get into the rants, right? Let's yeah. avoid this. But I have opinions on why they give you. Those credit cards, it has to do with military retention and they want to get you in debt so that you can't leave the military and you have to re-sign your contract and stay. Um, wow. That My might man. be a, that's a frowned upon theory. I posted Could about be, that. You know, I posted about that on Twitter and the U.S. Navy and Navy Federal Credit Union responded to me. So I'm pretty sure it's a big ticket item for them to watch out for people saying that. But, I was uh, going to say then. Sounds like you caught him. <laughs> yeah, they actually messaged me personally. Please remove this. <laughs> Absolutely did. You're ruining our yeah. plan. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Anyway, instead of handing out credit cards at boot camp, they should come tell you about, hey, you're now approved for a home loan and you can buy a $100,000 house off a of base since you have four-year orders here, three-year orders yeah, here. Yeah. And you can buy this house in Virginia, zero down, buy a small house, make some renovations over three years. And then when you get orders to San Diego, keep it, rent it out, and now buy another one in San Diego. And then when you get orders yep. to Jacksonville, buy a third one in Jacksonville and you can have houses all over. And then not only are you debt-free and not only do you have income, now you can actually enjoy your time in the military should you decide to stay. When you retire Mm -hmm. in 20 years, you may own up to 10 or 15 houses. And now you're making passive income off those houses because you since have paid them off with the income from those houses. And boom, you're retired and you've got these income properties. And that's a military example because I come from a military background. But any, any kid coming out of college do that same thing utilizing FHA loans. And sure, once you get a couple properties under your bank, under your uh, once you get a couple properties that you own, getting approved for loans may become a little bit difficult. But by that time, you're pretty savvy and you're a part of these network groups and you're a part of hard money lending groups. And so you're able to do yeah. it. And so I think the thing is you really just got to dive in. There's never going to be a perfect situation. Uh, and I'll close kind of with this. There, there's never going to be like an on paper like, Everything looks great. It's the right time. When you yeah. know, when you're questioning, is this good? Is it good? Is it good? You do as much research, you do as much um, thought into it as can, and then you jump off the cliff. 
And in mm-hmm. most cases, from what I've heard from the older people that I surround myself with, that I try to gain knowledge from, that's how they started. And from that point on, like, it, I'm not going to say it was easy. It was a challenge. But if you're looking to go down that road, chances are you're probably ready to accept the challenge. Yeah, man. I got, I mean, there's two things I want to ask, and I'm going to start with this one. So when you talk about, you know, they, they go from state to state, wherever, or what's your hot take on out-of-state investing? Because from, from a California's perspective here, that's a very hot topic because mostly we can only afford out-of-state stuff. We can't, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the stuff here is pretty pricey. But the flip side is, is you're not there and you might have to hire a property manager. You know, there's, there's more, more nuances maybe. What's your hot you're- take on out-of-state investing? You're definitely right. There, there are books out there, um, and I'm going to shamelessly push a product, uh, Mil- Millionaire Real Estate Investor. That's a Keller Williams book written by Gary Hare. But, but I also have the Guide to Real Estate Investing. I think it's called Rental Investing. That's Brandon Turner, Bigger Pockets. There's all kinds of forums. Yeah. There's all kinds of books to read. Get into both of those books. Uh, I know Brandon's book talks about the advantage of a house that's maybe further away from you is that you're not going there to check on it all the time. You're letting it do its thing. And mm. and you and and also he has formulas in that book where you're factoring in the price of an investment company to make sure that the property cash flows. So there's plenty of information out there. You can join the forums, you can get online, or you can order the books. I mean, 19 bucks for a book, 14 bucks for a softback or something, or a $20 audible book uh, for when you're driving to work or school, like those are good investments. Like you spend that, like I've heard you say it, you spend that much money going to freaking like, you know, get a burrito, like buy a book, buy a book and invest some time in it. And like, and so I, so I guess the answer is yes, do it if it makes sense. And if it's like, Mm. if it fits the formula and there's plenty of formulas out there, then yeah, do it. Now, you know, you gotta be cautious. What are the taxes? What are the ramifications? But you got to put the time in. There's a re- you know why I'm, you know why investing in real estate pays off because it's not easy. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of information. I think this last year I spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time researching um, the Memphis market in hopes of hopping in, and I did so much research, and then it just fell to the wayside. And I'm probably I'm going to end up doing it, but the fact of the matter was like it took a, a while for me to just wrap my head around like, okay, this neighborhood has a huge Bass Pro Shop. I wouldn't know that. It took me a month to figure out why people even want to live <laughs> in that neighborhood. Talking about know? the pyramid, the like pyramid? Yeah, it's Pro like Shop. a hotel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's this like, nice. those are like the little things that you, you got to know. Um, I want to ask you this. Here's what I've heard. Last year, last year, all I heard was the crash is going to come you know, it's been over 10 years, it's going to happen. And now we're the following year, rates are super low, home prices are still going up. And now the conversation is like, oh, maybe in a few years, we'll get a correction and a slight decline. Where is the market? What is happening in the market right now? That's a good question. That's a good question. So, all right. And uh, I think first we have to identify, like, why are people asking this question? I think it's because most of the people in our life, especially people younger than us, but even people a little bit older than us, they identify recession with crash. They identify high real estate prices with crash. That's because the last recession we were in before this forced pandemic recession, 
was caused by real estate. But if you go back in time over and over and over again, real estate was not the cause of the recession. In fact, when the recessions happen, real estate always gets stronger. So what Mm. happens is just because during our childhood, during my initial real estate career at 20 years old, when everybody was losing their pants because of real estate, because of bad management, because of bad decisions, both by banks and regulations and the government, they associate Mm -hmm. recession and high prices with real estate crash. The truth is that's not necessarily that. The truth is that's not true. That's not what causes recessions like nine times out of 10. So we've looked at a lot of data. We've looked at a lot of stats. What's really going on in the market is after the crash of two, there's trend lines. So let's see, there's like this trend line like this, right? Of house prices. House prices in 2009 shot way up and then they crashed. Right. That, that trend line kept coming, but see the trend line where prices actually were was much lower. And so what mm. happened was it's been correcting and it's meeting towards a time where it's going to correct and get mm. back onto where trend line is. So prices today are where they should have been had it gone at a steady rise. Also, Mm -hmm. I try to educate my buyers in this. A few years ago, you got a house, you got a house, you're getting a house, you're getting a house. It caused a lot of problems. And even after all the regulations, even when I was buying a house in 2015, it was still relatively easy to buy a house because we were still correcting from the 2009. There was still a shortage of homes. There was still like a problem with like construction. We were trying to get things moving. So it was like, okay, we still want to benefit people. The challenge is back. Like when our parents in the 70s had to face 18% interest rates, when they like mm-hmm. like when when you came home from World War II from Vietnam and you became a homeowner, it was a real difficult, challenging thing to do. And it was a real big sense of pride. And I try to educate my buyers and let them know, like, hey, listen, like it's not there, there's low inventory, right? And so that's causing a high demand. And there's a low interest rate, which is causing a high demand. Basic supply and demand says. When demand, you know what I mean? Supply and demand prices are going to go up too. And they, it's kind of corrected. And now that we see that it's corrected and back on track, interest rates are starting to rise to slow down that, that, uh, that buyer, um, you know, desire to go out there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then we did have the COVID. And so you had a lot of older people. You had a lot of people who didn't have to sell stay out of the market. Normally there's people that are like, there's always people that are like, you know, let's put our house on the market and see like if it sells and we'll buy a, you know, a bigger one. Those yeah, people yeah. stayed out of the market because mm-hmm. COVID and it's scary and I don't want to get germs in my house. So you had a yeah. low supply and then a, a low interest rate with a high demand, high demand. So your price came up and now those, those interest rates coming up are going to start correcting that. But what I always remind people is this, man, like, 40, 50 years ago, our parents, our grandparents, their parents, it was difficult to own a house. And then once you own a house, you were really able to take pride in ownership. And you know what? That If there's a positive in all of this, in the high prices and in the challenge, it's that pride of ownership is back. Like mm-hmm. you, you were debt free. You saved up money mm-hmm. for a down payment and you were able to be competitive and purchase a house. Congratulations. Like I can look at you and say, man, doesn't that feel good? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man, that's all I can say. So, so the state of the market is, it's rewarding, if mm-hmm. you're taking responsibility for yourself and you're and you're, you know what I mean, able to be competitive, and enjoy it. Yeah. So here, okay, so how do we? <laughs> I got I got a lot of questions because real estate is one of those things that as I'm like, I just try to wrap my head around it. 
because there's a, there's a couple of strategies like as you're talking about like i have some some ogs in the game that i know you know they got okay. like 14 14 doors and yeah some some of their strategies are like what you said of you know you you buy one you live in it you move out rent it buy one yeah. live in it, move out rent it but then there's other people or other strategies that i've seen of like they just save and save and save and save and yeah. then they wait for that dip and then they buy like six and i'm like hot dog like that's a crazy strategy too that's i'm not saying too. which ones yeah i'm like whichever <laughs> But I guess one of my questions is, is how do you identify a good market to invest in? Like, should we be looking at population? Should we be looking mm. at job diversity? What are some metrics we should look into to be able to say, this is a good place to invest that I'm not going to be sad that I invested here 20 years later? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, so there's challenging things. There's there's commercial, you can track commercial things. Um, you know, there's, so let's say this, um, and we've discussed this at the office. There might be a grocery store chain that is very high end. And then mm -hmm. there's, you know, and I don't want to, I want to be careful to kind of like, you know, with the ethics involved and everything involved. And like, so there's grocery store that's very high end. And then there might be another grocery store that's like, very low in grocery store. So we can maybe track what the city planning is. And if all of a sudden we see that, okay, they're developing this land out here, which is close to this neighborhood that's kind of run down, but they're developing mm -hmm. a high end grocery store has bought into it. We know that their intention is to build this like area up. And so mm -hmm. maybe we want to start buying these low end houses because we can either flip mm -hmm. them later to developers or we can rent them out, you know, refurbish them. That's as simple as connecting with a commercial real estate broker or agent and saying, hey, like I saw there was some, maybe some development plan. Like, do you know who these people are? Or becoming part of those groups with social media, with Facebook, with Instagram. There's all kinds of groups and things you can be a part of. And um, you might have to gain a little bit of clout and have a little experience, right, to get there. But like, again, yeah. you got to put the work in to see that. Um, so that's one potential way. Other things like we have the Jacksonville Jaguars downtown and there was this like, I forget the lot. Everybody's going to crucify me for not knowing the lot number. It was like lot A or <laughs> lot J or whatever it was. They wanted to do this big shopping center and this big investment in these malls and these condos and this really nice stuff. So what was happening was they're going, the owner of the Jaguars is going back against city hall and they're going back and forth. Well, it's a parking lot now. Do we want to bring in like you know what I mean? All this infrastructure and it's going to cost the taxpayers a little bit. Anyways, obviously a big decision, right? So I knew some investors mm -hmm. that there's some pretty rundown parts of town around on the other side. Like there's, you can buy a house for $30,000 on the site. So very, very, very low income, very, very low, like level, um, you know what I mean? Poverty stricken like areas, but they're right next to where the city planning is. So, you know what some mm -hmm. investors are doing? house after house after house after house just boarding them up and waiting for that lot you know that that like infrastructure and that shopping center and everything to come in because what's going to come in next next is going to be the big time condo developers and townhome developers and guess who's going to own those properties these guys that bought them. yeah so i mean watching what's going on in your city watching what city hall and what the big players are doing definitely a way to stop i mean you know, it, it wouldn't take much for somebody, a low end investor in, like you said, people who sit on things, 
Maybe that's an opportunity yeah. for somebody to spend 30 grand, go buy some plywood, board up the windows and just sit on it for three yeah. years, maybe three years. And then turn around and they could flip it for 150. Who knows? Depending on what, you know, that's not a rental. That's a buy and hold and then flip, like do nothing in the meantime. Deal. Yeah. Man, I love that. That's a great idea. I've never, yeah. I've never even considered that before. So I love that. I'm definitely going to be taking yeah. note of that one. I know some people um, doing. How much, how much money do you think the average Joe needs to, to hop into the real estate game? What would yeah. you say a baseline number is? Is it for everybody or is it you need X amount to hop in the game? Well, there's so many ways to get into the game and that's what's kind of mm. interesting. And I think it's kind of, there's a very low barrier for entry. I chose to go in as an agent. Do I plan on being a sales agent in 15 years? Absolutely not. But did I recognize that like I have qualities that are going to let me jump out ahead of the rest and produce income that's going to allow me to take that income and you know either start a team and then start like another business in the same industry or buy investment um, for a real estate agent? It's going to cost you like $1,200 startup fee basically. And that's in Florida, mm -hmm. like by the time you pay for your school and your state test and your fingerprints and getting your ID done and then joining a brokerage. I mean, yeah, it's going to cost you about $1,200 startup, which that's, again, a, a, a college kid who's a waiter could be responsible with their money, save up for a few, six months and they can do it. And now instead yeah. of waiting tables, they can be going to the brokerage when they're not in class. And like gaining yeah. knowledge and getting a real job. I mean, that was my that was my plan from day one at college, and I basically did that until, you know, that. It, uh, but again, that's a whole nother story. Um, oh, it looks like glitched a little bit. Anyway, um, so um, I guess if you were going to be an investor, you're looking at that twenty percent down at least for investment mm -hmm. properties. Mm -hmm. So now I don't know. Like, are you able to get a loan for a thirty thousand dollar house? I don't even know if that's feasible. I don't Tough. know. Like, you yeah. know, it's a <laughs> yeah. bank going to give you a $30,000 loan for a piece of trash and you pay like six, $6,000, you know, 20%, $6,000 down. Um, probably not. That's probably a, a cash investor. But again, mm -hmm. if you're able to save, you know, if you're saving for a hundred thousand dollar house, that's 20 grand. Um, yeah. and so what is it, how long do you think it takes someone to save 20? I mean, that's if, if you take one year, they're saving about a little less than two grand a month. And I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that's true. not that's not like a kid right out of high school that has bills or right out of college that has bills saving. That's somebody who like maybe has a job or is dual income with a spouse. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, we can save this um, two grand, you know. Now, yeah, if you're doing the house hacking and you're looking at three and a half percent down. A hundred thousand dollar house at three and a half percent down is only thirty five hundred bucks. Now right. I'm pretty sure somebody can save thirty five hundred bucks really fast, and especially a dual income, you know, spousal or couple of whatever sort, you know, dual income. That's again, listen to your debt free podcast and is debt free. You know what I mean? They're able to save thirty five hundred bucks yeah. in a month or two. Yeah. So yeah, it's all about where you're at but doing the due diligence to make sure you have the money ready to be put down onto a down payment right. when the time comes. Yeah. Gotcha. Nate, we are coming to the end of this podcast and I'm yeah. going to hit you with the final question, but All first right. I'm going to say, 
you have been absolutely great on this show. I am very, very, very excited that you came on. And I think, for one, I'm going to be taking a lot away from how I approach the market from here on out. And two, also just the the fact of like how you choose to be empathetic toward people and be a leader toward people. Because I know just from talking with you right now, I can tell that you interact with people in a way that one, you could put yourself in their shoes and say, hey, I know what you're going through and I'm going to walk you through this. We're going yeah. to get, get through this together. So appreciate I really that. appreciate that. So final question is, you know, with all of your experience in real estate, in the Navy, everything you've done, what fulfills you? What fulfills you now? Mm. What fulfills me? Man, you know, I don't want to be so like, so cliche but really like coming home to like my place and like having the kids and 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 wife and being able to just like enjoy that time you know that's huge and uh not not having to stress you know like we want more food we'll go buy more food if we need a rug for the baby's nursery let's get a rug for the baby you know i mean just being able to like yeah not like spoiled because obviously you've listened to this and you know what my principles and my values are but um you know just being able to provide a lifestyle that we can all enjoy that's so Mm -hmm. huge man that's the biggest thing to me i love it i love it not yeah i think you hit the nail right on the head nate where can people connect with you how can they find you everything you say is going to be in the show notes but where where can they find you on the internet yeah i appreciate that um Big, big spot for me is Instagram at Nate Riggs official. Uh, just like it sounds. Uh, also on YouTube, you can find at Nate Riggs official. I put all my real estate properties on there. Um, nice. and of course, again, the, the Facebook realtor page is at Nate Riggs official. I'm mostly active on my personal page, but if you get to the realtor page, I'm sure you'll find me on the, the personal one. Those, those are really the big ones for me. Instagram. If you message me on Instagram, I'll message you back. Nice. You got to message him. Anybody listening, you better message Nate Riggs right now. I don't even care if it's just a smiley <laughs> face. He's going to reply. He's going to give you something good. Absolutely. I appreciate Sweet. you having Nate. me on. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Until next time. All right, brother. Bye. That was the episode. You just listened to it. Uploads every Friday at 6 a.m. Next week, we'll have Jason Sherman. Jason Sherman is a successful entrepreneur, award-winning filmmaker, published author, tech startup expert, and journalist. He's been featured by several media outlets, including The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, The Verge, and ABC News. Jason is a classically trained violinist and was a featured speaker on Fox's futurist TV show, Exploration Earth 2050. Should be an absolute boinger. Quick reminder from our sponsors of this episode, Scott Anderson, the man and also the legend entrepreneur coach that is excited about getting your business to the next level. As a listener of the show, cash in your free consultation call by visiting doubledareyou.us. That's D-O-U-B-L-E-D-A-R-E-Y-O-U.us for your free consultation call. Grow that business. I know you want to grow that business. I know you're sick of that nine to five. Call Scott. He'll hook you up. Since you're going online, go ahead and go to the shop, nicholasnatalie.com slash shop for some merch, youtube.com slash nicholasnatalie for videos every single Monday. We have a great side hustle series coming up. Leave a five-star review for this podcast, dude.
and share this episode with a friend on social media. Tell everyone you know. If you want to be a sponsor of the podcast, reach out to me at Nicholas Itali on Instagram for more information. Also, sign up for my newsletter. Go to NicholasItali.com and put your email in to get a newsletter. I'm going to be serving out some really, really valuable tips and hot takes that you're going to want. The real reason you're still here, how do vampires like their food served? In bite-sized pizzas. <laughs> Sorry, botched it. In bite-sized pieces. Oh, gosh. I ruined the riddle. Oh, well, we love you guys. See you next Friday at 6 a.m.